The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. I, I actually did. I took the SATs in sixth grade as like a math competition thing and did well enough to like yeah. get older kids to let me tutor them. But even at that That's time, funny. it was it was the opportunity to cost like, yeah, I could play two more hours of video games or I could make 80 bucks and buy another. Like, I know I'm saying a lot right. of things in terms of video games, but I'm just trying to think about what my priorities were as like a 15. Yeah, of course. That's role, like, what do you yeah, buy? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And my dad was an investment banker. So, you know, I understood about minimal amounts of investing whatever you can as a younger person. So yeah, I bought right. a bunch of Apple stocks and Amazon things, whatever, back in the early, you know, after the crash in, in, in like 2004, five, six, whatever. And then a lot of that stuff ended up being seed money for some of the other projects that I worked on. So, you know, it's kind of like plateaus, uh, both in your knowledge base of how you can start companies or how you can make them work, but also in your, personal financial security and risk tolerance. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We got another great guest. This is a coast to coast episode because I'm in New Jersey and Jake is in LA, I believe. That's correct. And uh, we're going to hear all about um, Jake's businesses. Jake's a young entrepreneur and he will have, but he's bought and sold some businesses. We're going to talk about his skincare line. So uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and like the, uh, the video. If you're listening on your favorite podcast directory and can leave us a five-star review, we'd appreciate that so we can keep bringing good guests like we have with Jake. So let's get on with the uh, opening credits. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. 
Hi, I'm Jake Rosenberg. I'm the founder and CEO of Crete, 30-second skincare for guys. I have been working for myself ever since high school. I've never actually had a real job. I, this is my fourth company, and yeah, it's growing pretty quickly. I've done everything from fashion to e-commerce, some stuff in the crypto space, and now I'm in the skincare industry. All right, Jake. So um, thanks for taking out middle of your day in LA, I guess to uh to join me i know we i had to reschedule on you once so i apologize it's no problem i work kind of 24 7 so middle of any day is same as late early relatively young (laughs) wait to be my age you'll be like i'm not gonna work today you're actually my last podcast interview for the summer i'm not recording anymore wow uh, i feel honored the two live episodes so so i'd like to go back and i know you're young that's fine but you do have a history of building some companies and you know, um, selling some companies and now you're doing the skincare line. So maybe we can go back and start with your story as an entrepreneur growing up in uh, California. I think it was actually, wasn't in California, wasn't it? Like Uh, I grew up in Long Island until 14 and then New Jersey, Los Angeles, um, Los Angeles for high school. So yeah, the first, I mean, being an entrepreneur in my mind is kind of seeing an opportunity and, and chasing it and making it happen. And that could be yeah. something very small. That could be pl- how you playing trips, how you could, it doesn't really matter. That's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset. So I remember my first foray into seeing an opportunity. I think I must've been like seven or eight or something. There used to be in my middle school or lower school, like these bagel sales. And they were like a dollar for a bagel with butter, a bagel with cream cheese. And some of the parents, right. um, they just didn't give their kids like a dollar. And so I remember I used to lend kids a dollar and expect like them to pay me back two days later, like $2. So I invented interest rates. If someone didn't pay me back, they didn't get a loan anymore. Loan shark. Yeah. So basically, but you know, for a dollar or two, and I remember my parents when I was like eight, they would find like $4 in my pocket and be like, where did you even get this? And I would tell them and they thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I probably, yeah. I don't know, over the course of a year, I probably made like 60 bucks or something, but you know, that's enough right. to buy a video game or whatever you care about when you're eight. I think they were probably a lot cheaper back in, 1998. So, right. um, meanwhile, you're like seven or eight, and you're breaking all the lending laws, probably charging them thousand percent interest. I, it seemed like it was a hundred percent interest because I pretty much remember there were, there was a, there was a group of identical twins. Um, and they just never had money for these and they ate a lot. So they would get like five bagels between them. So I'd lend them five bucks and then I get 10 back like a week later. Yeah. So that's like a hundred in a week. Not yeah. In a year. It was, it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I made some money here, like doing chores to get an allowance of like a couple bucks, whatever. So I used to save my money and I would then buy something I wanted, like anime from Japan. Because there wasn't the internet at the time where you could just kind of stream anything. So, um, yeah, that was the first kind of time. I never even realized that there was any, any set way of doing things. I don't know. My parents definitely encouraged me to figure out my own life path. I mean, I definitely studied hard. I was a salutatorian in high school. I went to Penn and did econ and math. So it's not like I didn't follow a pretty standard academic course. But yeah, even after graduating college, I didn't go and work for someone. I started a software company right out of there. But even before that, in high school and in college, I was tutoring kids all the time, making a lot of cash, saving it up, and then putting that into like Apple stock and things like that. So you're a hustler, you know? Yeah, I mean... It just was kind of easy. I always looked at it with opportunity costs. Like 
if I could get paid 40 to 60 bucks an hour as a sophomore in high school to tutor kids in the SATs, even though I hadn't taken them myself, that was the funniest part. Um, <laughs> I, I actually did. I took the SATs in sixth grade as like a math competition thing and did well enough to like yeah. get older kids to let me tutor them. But even at that That's time, funny. it was it was the opportunity cost. Like, yeah, I could play two more hours of video games or I could make 80 bucks and buy another one. Like, I know I'm saying a lot right. of things in terms of video games, but I'm just trying to think about what my priorities were as like a 15. Yeah, of course. That's role. Like, what do you yeah, buy? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And my dad was an investment banker. So, you know, I understood about minimal amounts of investing whatever you can as a younger person. So, yeah, I bought right. a bunch of Apple stocks and Amazon things, whatever. Back in the early, you know, after the crash in 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 like two thousand four, five, six, whatever, and then a lot of that stuff ended up being seed money for some of the other projects that I worked on. So you know, it's kind of like plateaus, uh, both in your knowledge base of how you can start companies or how you can make them work, but also in your personal financial security and risk tolerance. Right. Yeah. So what was, so what was your first, like, those are little things, right? You're hustling, you're giving money out, you're scrapping around yeah. and want to buy video games. What was your first like real business that you remember? I think it was, it was tutoring. It was in college summer. I was interning at Universal Music Group mm -hmm. just because I thought I wanted to go into music. And then, you know, we, we get let off at unpaid internships back in the day. So I get all let off, you know, like four or four thirty, and I'd tutor for like, four to five hours for kids in summer school because they were one of two kinds of students. Students who wanted to get out of certain classes, so they figured I'd take them over the summer, so they were like A-plus students, or they were the students who kind of failed the classes and had to retake them in the summer. Either way, right, those were my favorite students right. because those are the ones yeah. whose parents were like, we want little Johnny to get like an A-plus, he's only getting an A-minus, like you know, crazy right. things like that pay well. And then parents were like, well, he needs to actually graduate high school. So if you can tutor him, they also pay well. It's the middle <laughs> students who are like getting B's and C's. They're like, eh, whatever. They're fine. It's, it's the F's and the A's students that you, you want. They were in summer school. So I was started charging $70, $80 an hour and working, you know, five, four or five hours every night. And that was yeah. the first time I made like a significant amount of money in it. And I put that pretty much all, I didn't spend almost any of it. I saved that and put that into probably like Apple or Facebook stock or think, well, Facebook was pretty new. I don't think it was public yet. I don't remember the specific, but it, it, I put it into mostly stocks and that multiplied. And so that was the first like, okay, I actually made like a decent amount of money in a short amount of time. And right. I did my own thing. I, I went to the school. I talked to the specific teachers who gave me, you know, who created the funnel to get me students. I built a little system. It ended up that I had so many students that I had to like, pawn them off on other people and take a percentage, you know? So, right. Right. Sure. So that was the first kind of like actual semi-business structured thing, mm -hmm. even though it was loose and it wasn't yeah. that, um, no, but you had a, you had a marketing strategy. You were yeah. building a business. You had to bring other people to handle. You only worked so many hours, right? I had a pitch too. I mean, it was word of mouth. I basically, after the first couple of students in the summer, Word got around mm -hmm. that I was helping people get A's and it was it was easy. Like I actually had to, like I said, I had to turn away students because I just didn't have enough time. Yeah, because word gets around. I probably should have quit the internship and just done it like 10 <laughs> hours a day because I didn't yeah. go into music. But at the time, I really thought I was going to go into the music industry and I had a, an amazing hard internship to get at Universal Music Group. They let me walk around and like talk to the CEOs and like read any contract I want, which is like 
you could not nice. do that today. I could, they could just be like, yeah, you want to see Rihanna's touring and like everything she got paid at every show and every manager's information. I was like, yeah. Okay, here you go. I mean, <laughs> like unsupervised, just hand an intern like a right. folder with confidential information. I'm just reading it like, why are they letting me read this? But okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, they're trying to groom this next group. Yeah. So did you, when you were in college, did you take any courses on like, you know, business planning or, I mean, in those days they probably didn't even have entrepreneurship, right? No, because they didn't have it. Certain it was, time, you know? so I went to Penn and I studied econ yeah. and math. I knew I did not want to do finance and my mom's a doctor and I knew I did not want to do that. Um, I thought being a surgeon would be interesting, but I didn't want to start my life at 30 something. I'd just be now. Were you in Wharton or just in the main? I was school? in the main, we called it college of arts and crafts. It's the college of arts and right, sciences, right. but you know. And I thought, okay, math and econ, I'll do those. They're kind of, they'll pro- probably learn some business. Not even not even remotely relative to business. I don't even remember what I studied. Not I did very well, school. but like I look at my textbooks yeah. and it's like it's Chinese now. The formulas. I'm yeah, I know. I was econ and finance. Didn't help me in no. anything. And then you know, a lot of my friends were Wharton undergrads, and they were just studying finance things. So it was like I think I made the right choice to not do that because I didn't want to do finance. There, it was right. just kind of starting because I was in college from 2008 to 2012. It was just okay. starting that they might teach some entrepreneurship here and there. Yeah. Now you can probably right. go in and fully study that because there's all yeah you can major in it now yeah, in a now, lot of schools. It was not like that. I think I was probably yeah I think I was probably like three years before that started really happening. Maybe you could take a class. So it was kind of like take majors that were good and that if I did apply to a job because I didn't know I was going to start my own companies. If I did apply to a job, you know, having econ and math and good grades from Penn was like, okay, I'll get a good job. I can do finance if I want. I right. can join a startup. I can whatever. Um, yeah. I think it was first or it was actually second semester of my junior year where I started thinking about a company that that um, took your grades, your SAT scores, your extracurriculars, acceptance th- things, and basically analyzed your potential acceptance likelihood at various universities. And so I kind of made like a formula that did that. And I was trying for undergrads, Jake. Yeah. For undergrads, like for high school students to see coming out of high school, you know, Hey, you, you, you fit the bill to like get have, you know, Harvard's acceptance rate is 9%, but you're like above average, blah, blah, blah. You have a 17% chance. So, okay. Then you need to apply to at least what would it would be like six schools that are Harvard equivalent and the expected values you'll get into at least one of them. And so it was supposed it. to be kind of a tool for students to figure out how to plan their college. Like if you, if you see you a 1% chance of getting to Harvard, okay. Set your expectations, like maybe go a tier or two down, you know, right. And so, so, so what did you, do? you built like an algorithm and a software system where you could put in a well, lot of data. I did it on paper and I had all the formulas and they worked. My problem was I couldn't find the engineers for it. I went to the Penn engineering school. I talked, but they all like, I don't know. It was, again, it was 2011 you yeah. know, apps. Like it just was a different world where we all still had Blackberries. iPhones were like new. It was right. just the, the world of like apps and fast moving software development. It was not what it is now. Like it now is you now. could find someone on Upwork in five minutes to start building it for you. So I actually had trouble yeah. finding an engineer. I found one. He did a terrible job. So that actually never launched, but I really wanted to do that. Um, okay. Thankfully, it didn't launch because like two weeks after graduating, a student that I actually tutored hit me up and had an idea for an app. And I was like, oh, this is like way better. It was essentially social polling in the era of like early social media. 
like Tinder, Snapchat, Instagram, they were all pretty new in 2012. And so yeah. we had an idea to do social polling, which ended up being like a software company. I ended up running for six, seven years. Right. And what would we do? We would gather data and sell that data? Or? Yeah, essentially, you. it started by a simple app where you would like write a question and ask you, and like, it's so funny because it sounds so trivial. Now this is just like a feature in iMessage. But at the time, right. there wasn't any polling where you could say, hey, Right. We're going to go play basketball. Do you want to do like which time give four options and you text seven friends and like they vote. And then right there in the message, right. like, like survey monkey is now. Yeah, right? exactly. So we had the kind of basically right. like social survey monkey early and it did well. And then we converted that to an e-commerce plugin because that was where the real money was where while you're shopping, you could drag and drop or click yeah. and add images. So like, should I buy this dress? Yes or no. Which of these two things should I buy? You text your friends and while you're still shopping, the results would come in if they voted in real time and text messages instant. So if you ask like 10 friends, Got you get at least three or four of them responding. And if they all liked one thing, you know, it would be like if you were at the mall and three of your friends said, yeah, absolutely buy that shirt. You're going to buy that shirt. So it helped e-commerce sites with social proof and things like that. So it was like a tool for the e-commerce site to allow the potential buyers to like ask their friends and yeah. say, Hey, what do you think of this? Should I get it? Yeah, exactly. And so that did really well. And then that also ended up getting a huge amount of, of, you know, customer interest data because yeah. we essentially just had a backend with like across all the sites we're plugged into black You're leather shirts are in, or well, I don't know. I made that up, but like they're in, in these 10 brands we've, we were that sell that kind of a thing. Like, black long sleeve button downs are in right now. And we could just kind of dictate certain trends and things like that. So there was, there was actually, as we grew that. And so that was pretty good. And then I got someone else to run that. And so, you know, that. Did you exit that company? Did you guys sell it? It was not an exit. We were doing well, but I personally hate B2B. And so we built a, essentially a B2B to C tool. Like we really, what I like to do is build stuff that customers use. We built that, but then we had to go to guest jeans and all these places and like, Hey, would you like to plug it in and deal with their like six to 12 month sales cycles of dealing with large public company? And I just, that is not me. So we made a great tool. And so then I got someone else to kind of run that still running today. Um, I just don't really have to do anything to manage it personally. Okay. Yeah. So what, what, what did you do after that when you said I'm stepping up? Um, after that, um, I started the Satoshi shoe company. Because I had a the knowledge, Satoshi. yeah. Be like Satoshi, the uh, yeah. Guy? So this was in 2017. Okay, I had a friend, and he and I were like going all the Bitcoin conferences. It was it started becoming mainstream 2017. Like we were in it before that, but Bitcoin, yeah. yeah. So we saw that Gary Vaynerchuk had his case with deals for like sneakers for CEOs or something like that. And yeah. we were like, well, there's no, the crypto world is a, is about to be this world of like tons of hundred thousand to millionaire 20 year olds. Right. And yeah. no one really understands it. It's like 30% anarchist, 30% tech nerd, 30% wants to be flashy and nouveau riche stuff. And we were like, we understand it because we're living it every day. We're on, we're in the telegram channels and the WhatsApp groups and the discords, whatever. So we said, okay, well, Let's trademark the name Satoshi, which somehow we were granted because it's just a name and normally they don't do that. And let's have a sneaker that mines Bitcoin. And so essentially you, uh, it like mines Bitcoin while you walk. And it was a gimmick to do marketing. 
computer would mine Bitcoin while you yeah. walk. And so don't you need like a really powerful like a wall? A, oh, it would like mine something like point zero 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 one cents a month. Like it was not actually was giving slow. you an amount, but what? what but it was the gimmick of. As I walk around, like I'm making my shoes are making me money. And so we were going to sell, we were going to sell one of those for a Bitcoin, which is like $4,000 at the time. Obviously now it's like, so it's like 30 now got up to 60. Right. But, um, yeah. And then we were going to sell the regular shoes without that Bitcoin mining thing. We were just going to use that as, as marketing. Uh, we ended up making some custom circuit boards and then my partner bought me out of it. Um, before we even started selling stuff because we just had disagreements about the direction it would go. And that was probably the best thing ever because actually sell shoes is a giant pain in the ass. It's all hype. You know, we went to Complex Con and every single person is a celebrity. This, that, whatever attached. Shoes will be yeah. hot for like three days, sell out, and then like you'll never hear from that brand again. So right. that business was like a home run for me because I learned a lot about hype marketing, about that world, about packaging fulfillment shipping manufacturing in california because our margins were obviously we're going to sell them for like so much money that we were just like fuck it let's move in downtown la so i learned quite a bit about that and the day after it got acquired from me i started crete and so that was a combination i think of kind of the the software company which funnels and marketing and that and then the manufacturing and creativity element of the shoe company and so that kind of, that's what I'm running today. I started in 2019 right. growing like crazy fast. And I will say this of all the businesses I've run, this is easily the best one. It makes the most sense. Right. Well, I'm trying to think which point to start with. Um, the first is it's, it's a, it's a visual product and we live in a visual marketing okay. world, right? A product that like, and you like, I have, see, I have so. a pimple here that you can't see because we're launching our concealer soon. Like, there you go. You just do like, you know, you take out the thing, tap it and it's gone. Like Boom. we Good. can show right. before and after pictures. I have my, our hydrating serum on, which like I live in California. Right. My skin is always dry. I put this on. It's never dry anymore. So yeah. easy sales pitch. The second is the actual business itself. The products are uh, consumable goods that you use daily yeah. on like fashion right. or something where you might have a jacket for 10 years or purchases. Right. Right. luggage where you might never buy luggage or casper and like you're not buying a mattress everything you're buying our stuff like every month usually right yeah um it's, no i saw on your website you have subscriptions right yeah Subscri- i love it's oh my god the subscriptions great. are a dream we did that we started that like a year and a half ago and we have yeah. guys from day one from january 1st 2022 who are still subscribed monthly and haven't skipped a month i'm like i don't yeah. use it that fast but other people do but um, yeah. the other things are, it's a very high margin product. It's very low regulation. Southern California is a hub for manufacturing. So I was able to manufacture it like 45 minutes away. I have an amazing lab and a, and a guy I work with. Um, nice. It is a very high acquisitions in the space. So if we get up to high enough revenue and you're selling concealer and facial serums oh, and things to time. guys, a lot of conglomerates, a lot of strategics. Yeah. Um, no. The fulfillment the is easy. Is much cheaper by you yeah oh, following yeah. you but now with uh what's that woman's um drunk elephant she's oh, got yeah. a woman's it should sell for like 800 million dollars 847 million i actually know people who Crazy. not only work at drunk elephant but who actually were the finance people behind the deal so like there you, you go know, all we need to do is be big i know all the right people now for yeah. for that it's all sales right 
Yeah. And then a couple of other nice things are like the products are small, like this for $28 is like, this is, this doesn't weigh a lot. Now this will last you a long time. Like our, our body serum, which is, it's like 64 bucks and people buy it. Why it lasts you three months and you just don't have dry skin. You sunburn takes it away like immediately. So is the price point high? Somewhat not, not for the quality of skincare it is, but in that marketplace, it's not exactly high. And so, but even this, it's only a couple bucks to mail to New York and we should fulfill it from Southern California. So it's like the business itself just made sense. You know, software is easier than physical goods because there's no fulfillment, but if you're going to fulfill something, if it's light and compact and And uses up two year shelf life, there's easy storage, easy fulfillment. You know, it's just a small additional right. cost. And and our margins yeah, are- It's not like up. you have to find co-packing relationships around the country because it's got to be shipped locally. No, I mean, also, we do Amazon Prime yeah. and they, you know, we do sell on Amazon and they they figure out where it's going. So I'm sure it is actually distributed all over the country in their, in their warehouses. We have no idea. We just send them thousands right. of units and they like figure out exactly, they know where it's going to be sold before it's sold. They're crazy. Yeah, their algorithms are nuts. They're, so- you know, if anything, actually, yeah. that would be nice for them to tell us. They don't, they're not going to tell us. They're not going to tell no, us. Of course not. They're a black box with data. Yeah. But so, yeah, right. it was that. And then it, we slowly built it up. I actually, the, the issue with this industry, which is part of the reason why we're doing well, is like when you find an industry that's stuck in 1983, 1987, like legacy people, yeah. you know, 80-year-old guys right. who own conglomerates or the factories, there's no innovation. People have like fake innovation it's kind of like vaporware was in the crypto space like everyone's talking about change all of the innovation in the skincare world is is kind of bullshit we got a new airless packaging we now have this kind of right it's no you know what you guys haven't sold on tv right and then you think your skin will get better and you're going to be beautiful they think selling to guys is their mindset is two things. One, why can't guys just use female products? It's like, well, you've been trying that for 60 years and it hasn't happened. And the right. other is, why can't guys use products like they do in Korea or Japan where they use like lipstick and eyeliner? Like they 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 have more feminine styles. And it's like, well, if that's your method and also innovation of formulas takes a year and a half and anything like they're that. Big companies. Right. It's sure. like, well, I'm just going to come in. I learned chemistry. I formulated our first two products myself, literally myself. They sell out all the time. The return rate is like point oh. YouTube and Google. I I basically found products, but like let's say I wanted to do a facial serum, which is a concentrated moisturizer that penetrates the skin more. Okay. I knew about that because I, I have a scar on my nose from a ski accident. That's where I learned about skincare. That's why I knew there weren't brands for guys. That's kind of the that's like the founder story of Crete. You were looking for but, them and they weren't there. I lean in, you can see it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why? Because I learned about microneedling, hyaluronic acid, concealer, etc. I had to go to Sephora and I was like, this is not, yeah. there's nothing no. Sephora can possibly do to get guys to like, I say guys as the generalized American dude. Right. Where 20%, 10% of guys will go into Sephora. They don't care. They'll buy it online. But like the vast, vast, vast. Are there men's products at Sephora? Yeah, there's a men's section. It's like this big and it's in the back, right? The point is, no, there's not a men's section because it's like, I mean. No, you know what I think of men's products? You walk through the the dragon's den 
to find yeah. the thing in the back right. Like the whole rest of it is not for guys. So why of would course, you walk through? Because that's not their market. They're like, well, we don't really make money on guys. Yeah. The guys are coming in with the girls. But you know what I think of like men's products are like Duke Cannon and they're like giant soaps and a huge lip balm. I probably have one in my pocket right now. You know, yeah. they really don't, you know, maybe growing up there was like, like polo, you know, it was more colognes, like polo. There's like Kiehl's. There's, there's a few other Kiehl's ones. There's, again, these legacy brands haven't done anything. And one of the issues I have with them is their formulas. These companies have had the same formula. Like I have every brands that you know as products. Like I literally within reach, like I, this is Kiehl's. Sure. This stuff has like very aggressive preservatives that hurt my face. They have scents from like the seventies that I think smell terrible. They have just been relying on the fact that they're a brand. Like they haven't innovated. They they will come up with some new trademarked name for some new BS and pretend to innovate. And innovation is not like okay, you found this magic chemical from the hills of the Himalayas and it's right. going to solve no, all your issues. Yeah. It's basically being thirty percent better in five or six different ways, so that they compound and you're four or five x better than everyone else because that's the way yeah. it works. So our messaging is better to guys our fulfillment process is better to guys our products are formulated to work for both male and female skin but specifically to also work for male skin which is thicker i think uh you know a different ph level so all our products work for women too which is a lot of female products don't work for guys they're not scented they're not named things like creme brulee as a tone for con- it's just of course we not, just right. avoided anything that would alienate guys and what we ended up was with a brand where all our products take 30 seconds or less to use all our products are phenomenal and actually work and can solve specific skin issues and now women buy our products too because they're like oh your stuff is better than la mer which costs 250 dollars, and your thing costs 40 it's like yeah 40 dollars for a small thing is like not cheap it's just not, not, 250 dollars and you right. know we sold it for the slowest amount or we would actually still have decent margins nice well i think this is all great because we're just about the point about midway we'll take a commercial break so i can give some you know Kudos to the sponsors that pay us a little bit of money. And um, but I, I think this whole conversation is really great because you you represent like the new age entrepreneur, the, the guys who are your age, millennials or whatever, that you know, you're you couldn't have done this 30, 40 years ago. Like it was very hard to be an independent entrepreneur to do the kind of things, global supply chains, and you're kind of, you know, your tech, you come out of school. You're, you're exposed to finance and, and you're, you're, you're making it all happen. I think there's a lot of people out there like you that, you know, maybe they have that potential and those skills are just not like for you. It's kind of coming together, you know, with, mm-hmm. w- in terms of the thing. So let's take a break. It's about two minutes for commercials and then we'll come back and we can talk about, you know, kind of how you do your business planning, how you've kind of been self-taught, the, yeah. the, the difficulties you found in business, things you found easy, the things that you think maybe are easier, the people don't give themselves enough credit for that type of stuff. Does that make sense? Works for me. Okay. So let's go to commercial. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business, or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. 
For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Okay, we are back. So, Jake, um, in continuing what I was saying before, I think that it's, you know, you're – like you're the entrepreneur that I wanted to be 20 years ago, but I had to, you know, it was very hard to start things on your own as a young guy. We didn't have the kind of tools. We didn't have the world that's connected like it is now. You know, you said you learned about skincare and men's skincare through Google and YouTube. Well, well that didn't exist when I was personal experience. Yeah. I like, I like walked into Sephora cause I had to for the scar on my nose. Like right, I was forced to, but yeah, I Googled ingredients. I Googled stuff. I, I had to become an informed consumer which I could be. And then you know, right. I learned about the business. It is amazing. I will tell you, if you want to use, if you want to find out how something works, go to YouTube and Google, like insert that thing, how it works. You can yeah, go see like, how does the fed work? Go watch three videos on it. You'll have a pretty decent understanding of, of right. how it got formed, who's behind it, right. what they do, how printing money, whatever. I just picked that. Cause I actually saw a YouTube video on it earlier today. Anyway, oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. I just watched how to formulate a serum and then I found the, the person and then I went to her website and she said, Oh, I follow this, this, this person. I started following some chemists on YouTube, watch their videos. I don't know. There you go. Six hours of YouTube videos later, I had a, with detailed notes as if I was studying for it. It was, I call it the university of YouTube. Then I, what I did is I bought 10 products that were the highest rated on Amazon in that category. I looked at them, I read their them. claims I broke Got down it. all their ingredients in a spreadsheet and I Googled them one by one. That's where I right. came up with my ingredients list. It was the best ingredients from other people's products put together in certain ratios. Then I bought the things, I formulated them, which is essentially, you know, buying some beakers on Amazon. It's kind of like, you know, it's not like yeah. certain products are very hard to formulate. Serums are not. Um, Got it. Well, they're hard to formulate in that you need to get an amazing formula but they're not physically like the physical action of mixing them is pretty easy. Other things have heating yeah, phases, oil like phases, water phases. Right. Yeah. You don't need like special equipment to mix them. This is an immersion blender and a beaker. It's like, right. it's the physically yeah. easy. So I made 200 formulas. That was the hard part. And a couple of them yeah. were so good and they had the same couple of ingredients. And then I tweaked the usage percentages of each ingredient. And all of a sudden I had one, I started using it myself for a month and then I gave it to my girlfriend and then I gave it to 
family and friends. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, this is fantastic. Okay. okay, I guess this is it. I owned the IP for it. I knew how to formulate it. And then once I found a formulator, another issue is the contract manufacturers. They'll want to own the IP if they develop it for you so you can never leave. Right. Their business is not in the, in the research and development. It's getting $3, $4, whatever. When you buy, I need 10,000 units. They're like, okay, that'll be 40 grand. Right. And so, you know, getting giving them a $10,000 lab fee to develop something that takes a year that's not really where they make their money. So coming into those places, owning my IP and saying, Hey, like if you guys fuck up, I can just leave. Well, I, yeah, I no, that's first, important. work for hire. People don't realize that when they go and they, they're ignorant about it and they hire somebody to do work for them. And the person's like, I own this. You don't own this. We're just letting you use it. Exactly. Like, well, that's my idea. Yeah. They're called contract manufacturers and that's what I wanted. I wanted someone who I could contract to manufacture it. I did not want a, ownership partner in IP that is fundamental to the business. Right. Where, by the way, right. it turns out contract manufacturers, including one of those we're working with, yeah, they take two weeks sometimes to get back to your email. Whereas the other guy I just right. worked with who who is fantastic, I pay probably 20% more for him because he's more expensive. But, you know, price, quality, speed, pick two. I pick quality and speed, you know. So... With yeah. him, in two weeks, I went from, hey, I need 10,000 units to I ordered everything, and it was formulated in our inventory about two and a half weeks later. The other people, uh, for another product we're making with you know with our other manufacturer, again, they took a week and a half just to get back to my email saying, oh, it's great that you want more product. Okay, let's have a set up a call next week. Let's talk about it. about it, right? Yeah. Like, no, I, like, so frustrating. Right, you don't, you work at a different pace than most yeah. of these people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's talk, I, I always think it's very interesting because- you obviously had to do planning, right? You had to figure out like, where am I getting my supplies? What the price point should be? What are my cost of goods sold? What kind of employees do I need? Do I need employees? Can I do just, you know, virtual employees? Do you, yeah. you know, all that type of stuff. So how did you go about that? How did that develop so, over a period of time? Because I'm a big person when it comes to those kind of things. I knew planning. I could do it personally because I have had, you know, with the software company, the shoe company, I had a partner on both of those. It, it was very nice to be able to say, hey, can you go do these five things? I'll go do these five things, and then 10 things get done. However, yeah. after you start working with people for a while and they stop doing their five things, their five things become two, and it takes right. twice as long, and I'm still doing my five things a day, five things a week, whatever right. it is. Nobody works as hard as you do, right? I just I got sick of it. So with Creed, I'm a yeah. solo founder because I'd already done operating agreements. I'd already done manufacturing agreements. I'd already had experience where I was like, okay, I'll do the extra work, but I'll just get it done at my speed. Um, yeah, I had some seed money, so if I need to, I can hire people. And so it worked out, it worked out better, but yeah, I am in a constant state of learning, like 100% of the time we're doing a patent on something right now. And yeah, I'm talking to the attorney and I'm watching YouTube videos on patents and what makes yeah, it patents and patent wording. Right. I think you need to understand with 20% effort or whatever it is, you can understand 80% of something, but you have to put 20% effort into 72 things. So yeah. understanding enough about the chemistry, understanding enough about the packaging design and supply, understanding about European regulations that we can't use phenoxyethanol at 1%. There's just, that's, these are not hard things to learn. You just need to make sure you understand what, what you actually have to learn. Um, for new entrepreneurs, understanding legality of operating agreements, tax nexuses, yeah. things they should have taught yeah. you in school, but did not. Those are fundamentally important because you can completely control those things. 
be a Delaware yeah. LLC. And of course, as, as yep. it said in your intro, this is not legal advice. Consult your local licensed professional. No, of course not. And, I, and I'm a business attorney. That's what I do. But legal structure, governance, all that stuff. So it becomes Those are the ways that an external thing can just, or, you can have a catastrophic or. failure in your company because of them. If you make yep. bad claims. Okay. So we say yep. helps fight, can help fight the appearance Right, of some words. That makes right. it you a cosmetic and not a medical right. device. It's like, it's not rocket science. You just need to know that those are things you have to do and then do them. And so there's right. that on every I level. People, people ca- casually use the word, oh, I guarantee it'll work. I'm like, don't use the word guarantee around me. Like, I'm a lawyer. Don't ever use the word guarantee. It's not necessary. Nobody's asking you to guarantee that this stuff works. You could say we try, we help, we don't guarantee results, but this has been our experience. You don't have to. Like you said, put your whole company on the line because of two words that you put no, somewhere, we, right? We'll put if we put guarantee or something, we'd put like hundred percent satisfaction guarantee asterisk. That's different. Low. Right? If you don't like it, you can get a refund within thirty days. Like we, we make sure that we put below every one of our before and afters results may vary. You know, it's just right. it's not rocket science for that. Now again, the formulation part. That was a little crazy for me to learn and do. That was that was whatever. Sure. Making content, which we constantly need. We have new ads every single week. Some of them we run for a long time, but we like we're just we're like fifty percent a content company at the end of the day. Like you just need to make ads. Yeah, your and, business is all marked. And so for me, I bought lights from Amazon that that are fifty four hundred degrees Kelvin, which is like the natural light. I bought two of them. I learned how to position them from a friend who's a photographer because. You go to an agency, you're like, I want UGC. And they're like, okay, that'll be five grand for like five minutes of video. And you're like, what? I find someone right. on Craigslist. They're $250 yeah. for the entire day, $80 for lights, $120 for a shotgun mic. It's like, okay, I'm 400 in and I got eight hours of footage. Right. Okay. So Jake, do you have, how many employees does the company have? Zero. You don't need employees? We you have just no contract. employees. Yeah. We have. So, so we yeah. doing everything yourself. Or are no, you? we have a team of six or seven. They're just not employees. And I know right. about AB5 in California, which is the thing where they came after Uber and Lyft and tried to make the drivers employees and then made this law that screwed every creative person. And then sure, ended up giving one. Uber and Lyft exemptions from it because they threatened to leave. So they just left us with it. So there's a huge issue in California with like, you know, uh, classification. Independent contractors versus, right. Yeah. And, and misclassification. And you could owe like a ton of fines and things. So, you know, yep. we have to be very careful about that. So we have contractors who are genuinely contractors. Right. They have, and we have other people business. who are just partners with like vested equity. And like, you know, I consulted many California employment. I, I probably spent five, 10 grand, which is more than we've spent on any other legal thing just to figure right. it out and like hours of research. Cause again, I'm not going to cut if we're going to, we're not going down because of some stupid. Right. Misclassification. Department of Labor, right. Yeah. yeah exactly. We also, you know, a lot of people have their own LLCs like with multiple people involved. And so they're an agency. There's just things like that. That's and fun. again, right, exactly. everyone has to do their own research. I know that what we're doing is completely above board and like, God, it took me a while to make sure that we cleared that. But, um, yeah. So why do we do that? Because it's more flexible. Part-time work is better for us. We don't need everyone to be full-time. Some people are, right. some people are not. Some people out of state are, et cetera. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, 
the the employment in California is not a friendly state, as as Mr. Wonderful I think said on like a couple of months ago. He was being interviewed. He's <laughs> like California, New York, Massachusetts. Like these states are uninvestable, and it's like the funny thing is is that the few benefits of California that I get are like having an amazing network of marketers, access to every influencer, the fact that manufacturing of skincare is here. Right. If one of those things was missing, it probably wouldn't be worth it to do business here because the regulation yeah. is so high and everything. And like it take it, it, it doesn't right now, but it took months and thousands of dollars and a lot of my time to make sure that we could do business here correctly. It's it's crazy. Yeah. But you have no, to really understand uh, the regulatory and taxation environment in which you're in. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, it's like hire an accountant, then they get like a couple things set up and they're like, oh, it's good. And it's like, well, right. Just make sure you understand no, what you're, where you're doing business. Yeah. Not if you want to build a company. Look, a lot of people, for those listening, you can't just have, just because you have a company with people and you want to pretend like they're independent contractors and they really only have one job. They work for you. They come to your office. They're not independent contractors. No. You call them whatever. We you run everything pay. remotely. So that was an easy yeah. thing. A lot of our, our people have like vesting equities of their partners or they, they yeah. have, they have, they're only part-time and they genuinely use their own equipment or on their own hours people. and do completely other jobs for other companies. That's exactly like, what an independent contractor does. Yeah. yeah and so you, if they yeah. didn't do any of those things, like if you mandate too many meetings, they could technically be an employee because they have to be whatever. And like, if you say they have to be in specific locations at specific times or use company equipment, like it's very right. annoying in California. <laughs> <laughs> New Jersey's not much far from that. Yeah, New Jersey's probably right there at New York, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, they're very, they're very difficult, very liberal states, and you know you get stuck, and people don't know the rules or whatever. But it's like you said, look, the reason that people are unsuccessful a lot of times, it's not that they can't do things, it's that they're unwilling to take the time and invest in themselves, not just necessarily money, just invest their time in learning these things. About, yeah. you know, like you said, it doesn't have to be hard. You can watch a video. You can, you don't have to you be going to the library. And it's all out there. And it's not all hard. Out. You have to have discipline and you have to have a kind of discerning ability to make sure you, you could, like, you understand what's the correct answer or what people are pitching. Like, I see a bunch yeah. of people, for instance, giving advice about, Every D2C brand should just go retail as fast as possible. Or no D2C brand should only go to retail when they have a certain product number. D2C brands, okay, right. well, I looked into retail. I asked people who've gone to it, I, whatever, and I ran the numbers. And for us, it makes no sense for us for right now. No, it would require like inventory would, right? that I don't want to they squeeze your margins. Like yeah, they squeeze no your margins. We're not quite big enough to have like a national brand name. We People around people my age and, and like between me and maybe 10 years older in Southern California, New York, no, like they know of us because we run a lot of ads to them, but I don't know if it's also which retailer do we go into target target stuff is way cheaper than ours. Do we go and do a partnership right. with like a, a banana Republic like Baxter of California did. So, you know, you get a lot of advice from all sides and most of it's garbage or most of it is amazing for the specific company that that right. person happens to be working with company right so yeah yeah i guess, guess harry worked out for target they did a big deal right yeah probably worked great i mean i think they got acquired for a billion something too and it's like yeah. okay well maybe it also worked because they're like a unilever company or they're a procter and gamble company and procter and gamble and target are like best friends and they just go 
okay, we don't have exactly. to shelf space and target. Like we can just get you set up at the prime location. And, you know, do you have enough products? Right. So right now we have two. We're trying to expand to seven by the end of the year. If you think about it, if you walked into a Target, big chunk of some Old Spice is all red, big chunk of some other company, it's all yellow, big chunk of something else, it's all all, all black labels and whatever, and then ours, two greens. And then whatever, where you get lost. <laughs> you actually, like, you need to think about considerations like right. that. I, le- yeah. I, I, I asked some friends. It wasn't necessarily a YouTube video, but it was some research about, like, what is successful? What makes a brand ready for retail? And just read articles. So you have yeah. to do that about a lot of stuff because part of what being an entrepreneur is is not just execution. It's figuring out what you need to be executing. I know a lot of companies that I've helped consult for, startup founders, who work hard, they're smart, they're, they're brilliant, and they work on something and they like they never should have been working on that specific problem because that was never. But they solved that problem that nobody wants magically. But it just right. wasn't the problem that they should be solving. And so that's one of the problems. I got that's very fun. lucky. I don't even know who told me about it, but there was a book called The Lean Startup. I read that right out of sure. college. And yeah. that was kind of my mindset, but it helped give a framework around it. Basically agile development and scrums and things like that. That's how we run everything. We have stand-ups every day for 50 minutes. We have a, a shared workflow. Everyone knows everything going on so they can be massively informed. We test stuff really fast. You know, we want to do a redesign of our website, which we're working on right now. Me and the developer, we went and we spent like eight hours and we just like made a really shitty designed version of what we think it could look like. We shared it with everyone on our team. They gave feedback. We did it again. Okay, 16 hours later of work, so maybe three days, you know, your website is 50% of the success of, of an e-commerce company because maybe you have Amazon and your ads and, and some other considerations, 50 to 60%. I mean, Three, four days later, we had a version that we're like, okay, this is like going to be way better. Let's get an actual designer to make it. Now we're going to give it $100,000. I got to do it. It's going to be fast. But we tested that wireframe. Now, once we get the first designs, we're going to share that with 30 to 50 friends, family, people, whatever. Then when we actually build it, we're going to launch it as an A-B test and give it 10% of the traffic for a couple of weeks. We're going to basically do it in stages to make sure we're actually doing the right thing. And if it sucked after two weeks, we'd just be like, okay, turn it off. Start Didn't it spend up. that much money. And, and if I sh- showed it to the designer and the designs look terrible, okay, we're not going to do those designs. Like you just need to keep yourself on the right path. Cause again, I could launch on every platform, right? Why are we doing Twitter next? Well, Twitter is cheap, very low minimums, and we can use our Facebook and Instagram ads. So there's almost no work. Okay, that's good. Got it. TikTok? No, you need to post every single day. You need to do organic. You need to be like right. all this cra- like okay, that's we're not going to do that. So, well yet. So even within everything, you have to make sure that the process you have for what is your next move or what are the next 15 moves you're working on? What are your next products? Why are we going to do a right. facial cleanser and not a toner? Why are we going to do sunscreen next year, not this year? Why are we never going to do deodorant? It's like, well, we're not going to do deodorant because the max I can charge is 12 bucks and it's going to cost me five to make. And then the shipping and this and like, well, there's no way we're going to make money on deodorant. Right, exactly. It's like, okay, yeah. well, then let's probably not sell it. Whereas all of our competitors have deodorant. So, okay. They, but they don't do the math. They don't go through it and do the planning and yeah. say, well, how much is it going to cost us? Oh, it's not just five bucks. We also have operating costs. And yeah. And I mean, maybe, maybe when we're product. five times bigger, cause we're, we're growing really quickly, we'll do deodorant just so that way you don't buy another company's deodorant like it and then end up buying more right. of their products. So maybe it's a defensive right. move, 
but we're not going to do, we're doing, you know, we're not doing defensive moves as a, as a startup at our size. So, you know, there's considerations for everything and you kind of need to think outside the box. You need to do the things that deliver the most value, the fastest with the least effort. So like reviewing our website, we have a full-time developer. I'm kind of a designer ish. I know enough design at like user interface design, user interaction design, and we have designers. It's like, we can get that done A to Z in a month for not that much money. We should probably look into doing that. For other companies, they have no idea. They don't have the founder that can sit there and actually like look at other websites, break it down and like restructure our own. So that happens to be one of the things I learned from the software company was a lot of website design. So I leverage that and we do a lot of updates. So Jake, what's the the plan where you can break the e-myth and you can pull back and be more of the creative yes. guy who's driving the next product, making sure things are done and not doing all of the books. Yeah. Yeah. You Even know what I mean? I, I reread it every six months. It's like, you know, about the franchise model or whatever. Yeah. So well. There are some things that are harder to automate than others. Right but you can break those down and automate sections of them. And I'll give an example of with our ads. We used to basically have to go on Craigslist or backstage or whatever, find, find people or our customers and reach out to them, get them to do a release form, give them some general things. You never wanted to feed them exact lines, make sure they recorded with good audio quality. Most of the time they didn't make sure they recorded in good lighting. Most of the time they didn't make sure they said lines, not weirdly. Most of the time they didn't. It was so much time and effort. Okay, now what we did is we found 11 labs. It, it uses voice cloning. We just get people to sign a release form. We get them to read three minutes of something with a shotgun mic that we send them so it's high quality. So we spent 150 bucks and they end up mailing it back to us. So we use the same one. So I don't know, 10 bucks to mail it to them, 10 bucks for them to mail it back, and we cover that. We pay them 250 bucks and we clone their voice. Now we have a library of cloned voices. Okay, now we need a line. Type it in. It's done. There's a lot of stuff like that. Going to like voice one, two, three and hiring somebody. Yeah. And hiring somebody or trying to get the same guy back. We have his actual voice. We also started moving, you know, our ads towards uh, voiceover over just actions. Well, cool. I can go film myself doing like, you know, holding up a thing to a whatever, doing this camera. I can film that. I have the lights. I did, you know, I've done 10 shoots here all day. I, I, you film it on an iPhone. It's easy. You just set up a nice background and hold your product like this. But is that the best use of your time as you grow? Um, no, but basically I always do the thing first so I know how to do it. And then I write how to do it. And then I get my ads guy to do it. Okay. That's fine. That so, works. So the point is. Because you're not placing the social media ads yourself. I oh, no, no, no. We have, we, have, we have a media buyer and all that stuff. My, my point overall is the actual editing of the ads was already outsourced. I have a guy who does that. And so we did two things recently. The, the first is it, let's say editing an ad takes 10 hours. I figured out a way where we can get it down to two. And uh-huh. then not only that, if he gives it another hour, we can do five variations by just changing the first visual and, and audio of the first three seconds. Okay. Now we're taking three yeah. hours and we have five ads instead of 10. So that was one. It's not automated. It's automated sections to just make the output so much higher that I don't have to be nearly as involved. Right. The second part is the actual content you use in the ads. That's the real bottleneck. Okay, well, voiceover, we have cover, covered with clone voices. And let's go set up a system where we have 10 creators on retainer. And whenever we have a good idea, we just hit them up and they, they film it and we get it. 
And so I don't, then I can outsource the management of that. And all of a sudden I'm fully out of our ads. So that is not an easy thing to automate while key or, or to outsource fully while keeping it quality controlled because it's more of a creative and artistic endeavor. Yeah, right. Everything Cream else stuff. is automated. Our fulfillment is automated. I mean, our, our formulator, our, formula, yeah. our, our manufacturing, our inventory management, that's all automated. So, you know, new product development, how do we automate that? You don't. I need to buy well, 15 moisturizers and test them. Right, of course. But, but you eventually think you're going to be doing all the testing yourself? No, I can't. Oh, a thousand percent. Because there's, a, there's not that many products. What are we going to get up to? 20? Like, okay, well, we're making five now and we, we're about to like launch our third. It's like, doesn't take that much time. In six hours, I can test 15 moisturizers and be like, I like number one for its foaming, number three for its whatever, number six is scent is good. And then I send it to our lab guy and he does it. So there are certain things that you, you can't just make yourself completely out of any company. No, you can make yourself 90% and then, you know, rest invest, which is the goal. But, you know, again, when it comes to establishing the, the real thing with, let's say, product development, even if I have to do all the work up front, once we have a product, I'm, I'm done. Our, our yeah. packaging is set up like it's three emails that I don't need to send to our label guy, our packaging guy, and our formulator and be like, hey, man, we need more. When can you schedule the manufacturing of it? And then wire right. the money or whatever. So cool, cool. those are setting up individual processes for later. And right. so- yeah. Yeah. No, I tell, uh, look, I, as a lawyer, my, a lot of my practice is automated and I tell colleagues, they're like, how do you do that? And I go, well, you have to put the time in to develop the systems that can be automated. They don't work themselves. You got to get them in place. I'm sure you put all these things in place to fulfill yeah. and you, you know, figure all that stuff out. I like to be the one that does the thing first. And then I realize, yeah. can we do it internally or, oh shit, I'm not going to do this either because I don't want, like I tried to do our social media management. I got us up to 3000 followers. It was the worst thing I ever did. I hated (laughs) it. So I will not do that. I will look for people to manage our social media when we actually want to give budget to that. But I tried it. I tried a bunch of strategies. They worked and I was like, okay, now I know exactly who I need to hire. If they don't say that they can do X, Y, and Z that I tried and worked, or that if they say they're going to do a, B and C that I tried and absolutely flopped, Okay, cool. So if you try stuff yourself, you become a significantly better manager and significantly better to hire. And everything is always about people. I have an unbelievable team around me. They are as important as I am to this. I might be like the, the, the core of it, but we have a number of people who are like absolutely crushing it. Sure. Well, I think that the lesson here really is, and I say this all the time, there are a lot of good ideas out there, but it's a lot of comes down to execution. Like there's, you know, things that maybe, you know, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing or maybe you should be, but you're not executing, you're not taking the time to learn and do and put the right people in place and build the right systems. And it does take work. Being an entrepreneur is harder than working at a company. You I, know? Oh, it's, it's, you trade your nine to five for a 24 seven. I don't know well, if someone else said that. If I said that, I've just been saying it for years. I, I don't even want to take credit because I feel like someone else must have said yeah, that. You eat, sleep, and breathe the company. That's just the way <sighs> it works. You know, I life. get all the time, well, don't you make your own schedule? I'm like, yeah, okay. I can take two hours off in the middle of a Monday, but I'm going to be working the whole weekend. So it's <laughs> like, course. because yeah. people say I don't have a boss. I'm like, my customers are my boss. Maybe I self-funded it so I don't have investors I owe. Or maybe I'm, I obviously right. own 100%, so like I can do whatever I want in theory. 
But no, I can't. I still need to make products that customers willingly give me their money for. So I do have a boss. If I make what I want and it doesn't sell, I let my bosses down, which are the customers. So that's that's my philosophy. Um, yeah. Do you go on vacation? Do you stay in touch with the company? You can't. Oh be totally man, young. I do not know how to take vacation. I go travel. <laughs> You'll get there. It might take I, twenty years. I travel. Like I've done Burning Man three times. I brought a Starlink last year, okay. and I worked four hours a day. And people were like, "Are you crazy?" I was like, "Dude, I don't know how to." Better than not being there, right? I can't. Yeah, first of all, it was better than not being there. I had plenty of time to enjoy right. myself. I take a day off every other week. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I'm going to Italy in a week. I'm going to be. I mean, what I'm probably going to do is take like two days off and then work like four hours. But before that, I'm working 24-7 for three weeks to make sure my team has everything so they kind of don't need to bother me. But so I'm working yeah, like sense. a maniac now so I can take a little time off. But why would I want to take time off? I have an opportunity here to potentially change my life and my team's life yeah. and set myself up for the rest. Like that's the goal. No, it's not like, time to post. No. Right. Yeah. You're young. It's not time to coast work, work your ass off. You know, you don't, you don't get off the ground by just slowly taking off. You get off the ground by really, I actually don't you know, know how to take time off. Honestly, it's not, <laughs> it's not like a workaholic. It would be like, right. I say, you know, I talk about it. It's like, this is my sport. Like, I don't know. I'm not a basketball player and my Kobe Bryant, but like he's in the gym at 6am. It's like, yeah, I'm, I see something I enjoy on TikTok and ad. I screen record it and I analyze why, and I send it to my team and then we record it. Like, you know, most people just see a funny ad and they move on. I'm like, it could be 2 a.m. I'm like, no, they, oh, this is great. I love the way they filmed this. I send it to our guy. How can we recreate this with like super cheap? Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love it. You got a lot of energy. But look, someday you'll exit the company for several hundred million dollars and you'll start an incubator and you'll start helping other entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the hour to spend with me. Uh, the company's Crete. We'll put a link in the show notes. People can go to the Crete go to the, the website. K. K, right? K R E T E, right? Yeah. There yeah. you go. Nice. And so I also I'm buy me so some many, of the yeah, so many bottles that yeah. like this is a nice. One. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. So definitely stay in touch. I guess people can find you what on LinkedIn and and Instagram and Facebook and the they whole thing. They can find me on all those things, but if you email me at jake at crete.club, that's k r e t e dot c l u b, I answer that. I do not check okay. my LinkedIn messages. It's like 9,000 a day of like, "Hey, I saw your company and I'd love to blah blah, blah. Right. like love to connect. I can't I even find people or I'll send my girlfriend like really annoying messages <laughs> on LinkedIn like, "Hello, I I like your business profile." And she just she thinks it's annoying, but I think it's funny. So I do it anyway. <laughs> All right, Jake, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with me. And uh, let's definitely stay in touch. I want to, you know, keep in touch and watch your progress. Absolutely. Along the way. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for everything. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at the Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at beinackerlaw.com. 
Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.